Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Broad Street Hockey Radio, that's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Well, the Flyers are back, sorta. Uh, they played a game last night at Lake Tahoe. It was mostly with a bunch of phantoms, but here we are. The Flyers, uh, they're... The COVID break is over, for some of them. I guess we'll just have to get into this and see everyone's impressions. Last night was not a good game, regardless of who was on the ice. But we're going to take a broader view of things as well. And let's do that with the introduction, starting with Fly By Herself, Kelly Hinkle. Since I know she's going to listen to this later, I will let Steph Driver know that in her honor, I'm recording this podcast from my couch, as is her way. (laughs) Oh, nice. Me too. And also, I would just like to point out... um, Without getting too far into anything that we talk about, sometimes an excuse is a thing that exists and is reasonably made because of circumstances surrounding something. Sometimes an excuse is not just a cop-out. And when your hockey team is without five of its best players and Justin Braun, that is an excuse, (laughs) yes, but also quite a reasonable one. So, you know, just shouldn't throw that out there for whoever's listening. I, I, I appreciated on the broadcast last night, they even said, you know, you can call them excuses, but they are also reasons. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the reason the Flyers don't look very good is the Flyers aren't the Flyers right now. Now, on postgame last night, I made a point to say, I don't think that's why they lost last night. No. They just kind of, like didn't play it like I think against the Rangers they lost because they ran out of gas like it was their first game in 11 days they had no players shit happens last night I just think they forgot how to play hockey in the middle period and it had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with like Mark Friedman playing wing it had everything to do with sometimes they forget how to play hockey we see this team have mental lapses but Like, yeah, when you get down two goals to Boston and you have no firepower, you're not coming back. That it's a team capable of doing that otherwise, and there was zero chance last night. I'll say plenty in this show. Let's get to from theathletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Hey everybody. Hopefully everyone's doing great. I know I am. Anyway, so before that debacle of a game last night, there was actually a pretty interesting, like, uh, not not rumor article. It was more like a speculation article from uh, the Athletics' Pierre Lebrun about the possibility of Nashville trading uh, Matthias Ekholm at some point this season because they might be rebuilding. And I am going to put myself Ooh. on record as saying I am very much in favor of the Flyers getting involved in such a in, in yeah, such a conversation yeah. because I gimme. really I really like Ekholm. I get that he's not a right-handed shooting defenseman, but he's pretty damn good, and I would really like him on the Flyers. 
I will take a guy who we make too much about the hand the hand thing. I don't give a shit. Too much about the hand thing. (laughs) Yeah, give me give me a top two defenseman. Charles Charles Chuck Fletcher, go get him. I want him. (laughs) Yeah, like uh, I would like a right handed defenseman. Don't get me wrong, but really, I'll take a guy who picks the puck up with his feet and throws it. If like he can play some top four minutes and be really good at it and. I, I think that would be Ekholm, so yeah, I'll absolutely take that 100%. Don't care about the hand in this thing. Uh, so I just kind of want to get started with all, all, the, uh, all the topics surrounding last night's debacle. But first, let's, let's have our fun and talk about the league's debacle. The outdoor games. Oh. Uh, what, just like, what were your impressions of this? Because it looked fucking awesome. Like, the first period last night was cool as shit. And Amazing. I thought the midnight game, I thought the midnight game was awesome, too. Uh, but, like, what are they doing, doing these? There are several hours in the day where the big ball of fire in the sky <laughs> goes away. And you can have a game on ice when it's gone. But no, we like to do it when it's staring directly at us. Like, why the fuck... How I can't believe this doesn't happen every time, honestly. Unless it's overcast, you can't do this during the day. Well, I don't know if I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think part, it was probably like a combination of a couple of things. Number one, the fact that the elevation was higher, I'm sure, you know, lended itself to the sun having a, a more impact on the, the ice quality. The other thing is that it just wasn't as cold as they thought it was going to be. Like, it was still cold, but it wasn't like... 15 degrees which is what i think they assumed it was going to be in february in lake tahoe instead it was like right around freezing which combined with the elevation really screwed with the ice surface like i can't imagine that no one told them that hey by the way when you play games higher up the sun is a little stronger so you could have ice problems like look i don't think the nhl is the most competent league in the world i don't think they're that incompetent you don't no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. All I... Go ahead, Kelly. I, I was just going to say that, like, I. Everyone that you kind of see complains that the NHL doesn't do fun or interesting or creative things. And this was fun and interesting and creative. Did it go off without a hitch? No. Could they have done things differently that would have made it better? Yes. But it was fucking cool. It was incredible. The visuals were amazing. It was beautiful. Not having any fans, which, I mean, realistically, I know that that's never going to happen again because of money, but not having any fans there just made it. It was incredible to look at, and I, I don't know how you could have watched it, even with the shitty ice situation, and thought to yourself, this is dumb. I hope they never do this again. Like, it was just amazing and i hope they do it a million more times and get it right next time like you said bill the first period of the flyers game looked incredible all they have to do is start these things at sunset yeah and we're good to go like you get one period of amazing visuals and then it it gets dark and they play good hockey like it was it was amazing and just like if you want like the the visuals on the ice in the first period were just insane but like if you want the backdrop they make these things called spotlights. They come on a truck. 
you pull them up, you light them up and shine them at the fucking mountains and boom, you have the scenery still. <laughs> like, no, but I always say, like, they play, they play like 1,271 regular season games in a typical year. The fact that they they have a couple of outdoor games, I don't think they overdo do the outdoor games. Watching that shit last night, I thought every team should get one of these every year. Like, it's so much fun. I, I think the, and the one... Cr- when fans are back, it's so much fun to go to. Yeah. Sorry, I just... Oh, like, I, I, it's I so much done. fun to go to those things. Like, I love them. I think the one critique that annoyed me the most throughout all this, which, like, in all honesty, if you really dive into it, it's not really a critique. The pe- I, I think most of the people that were throwing this critique out there were less critiquing this and more just critiquing the idea that they don't think the NHL should be playing, period. But the argument basically was like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Why, didn't you, why did you have to complicate things by, by flying four teams across the country to play in an outdoor game? And my issue with that critique is like, number one, an outdoor game is probably the safest hockey it's game you can possibly game. play. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Number two, the whole point of not having travel. It was really two points. Number one, it was to save money, which no one's going to admit, but yeah. that's absolutely the case. It's because travel, travel is expensive, and a lot of these teams are like in the red to an enormous degree because they're not able to sell tickets right now. And number two, it's because if you're shipping teams all over the country, they're going to cities and they're potentially, you know, they say they're not going to, but like the more contact you have with people in cities, you could be facilitating the spread of this thing. Well, they literally ship them to the middle of the woods to play a game. Like I've been to Lake Tahoe. It's just a lot of like rich people's houses all scattered across the mountains. Like (laughs) this was about the safest type of event they could possibly have done considering the nature of the pandemic. So like, let's not go crazy over that, please. And can we like, and 100% Charlie, and can we like stop doing these in football stadiums and start yes. doing more of them in awesome places? Please. Cause like, if you've been to one, like I like the baseball parks. It's cool. Fenway was awesome. Citizens bank. Baseball stadiums have personality. If you've been to a football stadium, you have been to every single football stadium. <laughs> it's pointless. You're a million miles from the ice. Like, do them in awesome places, like the green of a hole in a fucking resort in the mountains. Like that, it was so cool. Uh, like I real, I like as someone who wants to make fun of the league, other than the f- you know first period of the first game on Saturday, I thought this was awesome. I just think that, like, I, I know, like I said, I know they're never going to do it with no fans once things are back to normal. But, like, if you actually want to make the Winter Classic appointment television for randos that are at home on New Year's, New Year's Day that don't really watch hockey, like, that's the way. Like, if you showed yeah. some random person that game, they would want to watch it because it's incredible to look at. And if you have like do the stadium series do all that stuff with the with the fans cool but if you make the marquee outdoor event this kind of thing every year you're gonna get random people tuning in and then you're gonna make new hockey fans it seems like a no-brainer to me i think it's just a matter of what they've turned the outdoor games into like when when the outdoor games first got started it seemed like their goal was to turn the outdoor games into this made for tv Let's grow the game 
special event. Like they had twenty four seven with HBO. They they had the big build up. They built up storylines. They were all about the visuals and stuff. And then it slowly, I think, transitioned into less of that and more of a this is a gift to fan bases so they yeah. can go buy tickets to see their team in a cool place. And that's what it slowly turned into when they started adding in the Heritage Classics and yeah. things like that. And they kind of got away from the idea of, like, this is meant to grow the game on a national scale. Now, this one was obviously more towards the, you know, the original idea, which is grow the game, made for TV type of deal. But I think on the whole, the NHL still looks at these outdoor games in an ideal world as let's sell as much tickets as possible and give, you know, whatever fan base got the game a big gift to get to, you know, get drunk outdoors with their buddies. I, I get yeah. that. And that's why I, I feel like you keep the stadium series, you keep all the extraneous extra outdoor games that are exactly what you've described. And you make the Winter Classic what you intended it to be at the beginning, yeah. which was a very good idea, which the NHL so rarely has and executes well. So you got one. Run with it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do just hope that we see more of these. And I, I don't know how you could construct the visuals that you got in Tahoe with fans in stands. Like, it just wouldn't work. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. So, we talked about the outdoor games, and we did it at length, and I think it's because we were avoiding part two of this. <laughs> the actual the game. Oh, the that's game itself. The Yo, what the fuck happened in the second period last night? Everything. So, so they were outshot 15-3 in the second. Uh, they gave up four goals, including three in about 90 seconds, to guys not named Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron. I think it was three like, first I, goals of the season. Yeah. Like, I get it. When when those guys score on you, shit happens, you know? Okay. They're really good. When it's everyone else, we're supposed to be the depth team. We're supposed to go, oh, you have the one line, but we have everyone else. Well, they don't. Now, they, granted, they, they don't, don't right now. <laughs> not right now. <laughs> I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. We don't have everyone else, partially. But, like, come on. How did that happen? Like, what happened in the second period? Did they go to sleep? They were really good in the first. I mean, I think my read of what happened in the second period, and, and again, like, there's not one thing that happened. But what seemed like happened to me was that, you know, Pasternak scores that goal in the first shift for the second straight period. And it just seemed like they got staggered for a while. You know, it, it's like they took a punch and they didn't fall, they didn't fall down, but they were just like wobbly. And for the next like five, six minutes, they just kind of lost their structure. They were sort of a mess. They could barely move the puck up ice and Boston took over. Now to their credit, they didn't give up another goal. They ended up taking a too many men penalty, which I think played into that whole idea of like, okay, we're kind of a dumpster fire right now. They killed the penalty, and then after that penalty, in all honesty, I didn't think things... I thought they stabilized. It was like, okay, they're down 3-2. They're still in this game. They're starting to generate some zone time. They're starting to generate some shots. Then you have the fourth goal, which was really just a case of two guys screwing up. First, Robert Haig screws up twice. He turns the puck over, and then he falls down. And then Carter Hart gives up a goal he shouldn't have given up. Yeah. And suddenly you're down 4-2. And then it just seemed like that was it. 
Like that, it just that that was the final blow that knocked him in the canvas. Then Hart gives up an utterly horrific goal to Trent Frederick. Like the the goal he gave up to Coyle, you're like, okay, you got to protect the short side better than that. That's a weak goal. The goal he gave up to Frederick, which was literally just like a fluttering wrist shot that he just missed. Yeah. Like that's one of those like I can't even blame the team for that. Like if you're if you're in your defensive structure, you will allow that shot a hundred times out of a hundred. Because you just assume that an NHL goalie is going to stop it. So that doesn't happen. Then Andy Andrioff, who shouldn't be in the game, takes a penalty right after the goal, which then puts them back on the power play. Then they score another goal, and then the game is over. Like, that's what happened in the second period. That was some real have-a-seat-on-the-bench-son shit. Yeah. Like, (laughs) that was ugly. We'll get more into Carter Hart in a little bit. But I have to ask, because this came up on post-game last night. A.V. definitely wanted to pull Hart after the fourth goal, but knew he couldn't because Brian Elliott's sitting there, not just cold, like, hasn't stretched, but literally fucking freezing. Like, because apparently... And, and, and he's 35 years old. They don't make... Like, yeah, and 35 years old. Like, apparently they, they make these benches. It's not like this is a standing, like, thing. This is a, a thing they had to build. But they don't make the benches long enough for the fucking backup goaltender. Like, <laughs> so he's just sitting there on his ass. Cold. Like, that's just what happened. They gambled and lost. Like, they really had to get through those last four minutes, and they did not. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that Vino was, like, and I don't blame him for this because it was such a weird, like he, if, if, if you watch the post game show, like he was literally standing in like a, like a runway basically outdoors doing his interview. So I don't blame him for messing this up, but I think he was talking about the fifth goal. Like I think, cause the fifth, the fifth goal was the Frederick goal. And that was the one where right after Andrew, took the penalty. So I think he okay. was saying he was going to pull hard after the fifth goal. So I think that if you're going to criticize Vino for something, like, I, I totally understand why he's like, I can't throw Brian Elliott out there, yeah. you know, in cold temperatures, he's 35 years old, to face the Boston power play. He's going to give up the first shot he sees. No shit. I think you could look at it and say, maybe he should have pull, pulled Hart after the fourth goal, which yeah. was the coil goal. But, okay. like, at the same time, it was 4-2, and I can understand why a coach would look at it and say, you know, Carter Hart's my guy. Wasn't a great goal, but I think he can turn it around. I mean, obviously, that's exactly what didn't happen because he then gave up, like, a beer league goal 33 seconds later. But, like, that's one of those, yeah, he probably should have pulled him, but it looks more obvious in hindsight type of moves. So, yeah, and I thought, like, they're just going to start the third with Elliot, and, like, they can't just throw him in, and then it just fucking unraveled. Like, I get it. Like... You couldn't do it. It was kind of... I said this on the post game. Like, these are the situations we saw it in the first game. They had an eight-hour delay. Like, this is a shut-the-fuck-up-and-deal-with-it sort of game, and the Flyers are the team who had to deal with it. Like, yeah, there are going to be inconveniences, but we make money on this shit, so um, deal with it if you like your paycheck, and the Flyers, you know, end up getting blown out because they had to deal with it. Yeah, and I think, you know, Vigno said this on on Friday. Um because I, it wasn't me, but somebody asked him a question, basically like, are you guys, like, not like, are you guys angry, but like, 
are you guys happy that you're going to this game considering the fact that you have COVID, you know, you're dealing with a COVID outbreak. Like it's kind of a mess. Like you're probably not, you're probably not going to win this game. And he had a good quote, honestly, which like does, does have you step back and, and you know, look at this with a little bit of perspective. And his quote was this, it was at the end of the day, my view is if the NHL thinks that this can help the game and they ask us to be a part of it, to help the game and help grow the love of hockey through North America and everywhere the game is seen, then I'm in. Hockey and the NHL have been very good to me. They've been very good to our players. So if this is what we need to do to, to, do to enhance the game and to sell the game, then that's what we have to do. And if the NHL wants us to be a part of it, then we're part of it. That's it. And, like, yeah, this game sucked for the Flyers. They went in with little chance of winning. They didn't win. But this game, I know it doesn't feel like it, it had a bigger meaning, but... But it had a bigger meaning than just one seven three loss to the Boston Bruins in a weird ass regular season. How can they defend David Pasternak? Very good question. They you, seemingly you have not figured do it not out. Do this. <laughs> you like, simply well, do not. <laughs> he's got he's got two hat tricks plus two assists in three games against the Flyers this year. He's got fifteen goals and twenty three points in nineteen career games against the Flyers. Since entering the league in 14-15, that's the most goals tied with Sidney Crosby, who did it in five more games, and he's third in points behind Marshand and Crosby. He's been killing us since he came into the league, and they seemingly have no answers for this. Uh, they've held him without a point six times in his career. He's had seven multi-point games. Like, he fucking destroys them. What can they do differently? Because last night I said, I realized, like, I don't love that the game is officiated this way, but since the league lets you go, well, he's better than us, so we get to commit penalties against him and you don't call them all, someone needs to slash him on the hands literally every time he has the puck. That's it. I, I mean, to be fair, the history that you cited there, for most of those years, the Flyers were an abysmal hockey team with not a lot of good players. Okay, but this year... I know. He's got so, two hat-tricks in three games. I know. I'm getting there. This year, you <laughs> would hope that it would be better. But he's really, really, really good. And I think a lot of times, hockey fans generally want to make it a what did our team do wrong that led to this happening instead of, yeah, holy shit, this guy is insanely good at hockey, and he scores lots and lots of goals against all of the teams. We got to figure out how to stop him. However, it's not some kind of extremely huge organizational failing that David Posternock scores goals against the Flyers. He scores a lot of goals. Would it be nice he if does. we never let him do that? Sure. But that's a little bit unrealistic. <laughs> we would perhaps do better to stop the other Boston Bruins from scoring goals. No, or, it seems a lot easier to stop Richie and Coyle. Like, maybe do that, like you know. Or, yeah. you know, the goaltender that we're putting all of our faith in steals one against the Bruins, which he obviously has done the opposite of that this year against the yeah. Bruins. So there's just a lot of things going wrong, but I don't think, I don't think it needs to be made into a huge ass deal. It's just, I don't think it is that. Yeah. I mean, he's a great player. I, yeah, I most, like... I, I mostly agree with, with, with Kelly, you know, obviously you want to try to find ways to slow a guy down. You, you game plan 
for top maybe limit him to one. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, you, three is a lot. You game plan for top tier <laughs> players. Obviously, I'm sure they talked about how to slow down David Pasternak before this game. Obviously, that didn't work. Well, so you got to do a better. You got to do a better job. Like you got to do sure. a better job. But like at the same time, like I completely agree with Kelly that there is a like my team centric view that fans have of like, oh. well, we failed rather than holy shit, he's great. No, and like I get it. Like that. The I think it was his second goal when the puck's on edge and it's literally laying on his stick. And he throws it, and it hits the inside of the crossbar, and then somehow continues a straight-down trajectory to the net. Like, okay, that's going in. But the other five he has against us this year, like... I don't know. Like, it's a a my-team-centric thing, absolutely, but... Because this year is about making a playoff run. And it doesn't seem like they're going to get very far in the playoffs, especially considering you only play in your division until the Final Four, unless they can figure out a way to slow this guy down because he's destroying them. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna have a, a big Boston Bruins problem in the playoffs, obviously, unless, you know, some things happen that I'm sure we're going to talk about, like trades and such. Um, I... Maybe we'll get lucky like in 2010 and there will be a Montreal to take out all of the good teams for us. <laughs> then we oh, just have my, to play them. Like the Bruins, the Bruins are 1-3 and 1 against against the Islanders in New Jersey. Yeah. Like best case scenario for the Flyers right now is they get the second seed, the Islanders get the 4 and either take a big chunk out of Boston or actually eliminate them mm-hmm. for the Flyers because May I, I want to ask, fully healthy-ish. This might be a year where you're never fully healthy. Like, could be. Yeah. But fully healthy-ish, can the Flyers beat the Bruins in a seven-game series? It would be difficult. I mean, Boston's, That's, re- Boston's really a really good, good team. Yeah, like, like, do I think the Flyers could beat them? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, I, I think, like... Yeah, Columbus slept, swept Tampa Bay a couple yeah, years like, ago. Oh, like, I, shit happens. I guess my view is that, like, yes, they've lost all five games to Boston. Boston's played very well against the Flyers this year. Last year, the Flyers played pretty darn well against Boston. So, yeah. like, I don't necessarily think there's this, you know, like, I do believe the Flyers do not match up well against the New York Islanders. I think that is a matchup thing. I think that is a case of, you know, the Flyers tend to struggle against physical forechecking teams especially now that they don't have Matt Neskinen and their defense is weaker than it was last year. But like even last year, they struggled against those kind of teams at times, and the Islanders do that all the time. I think that's a matchup thing. I don't know if this Boston thing is a matchup thing. I think it's just that Boston's a really good team playing very well this year, and the Flyers are a, a team that is probably a bit lesser than them on paper that is not playing that well this year. And it's just becoming a disaster. Like, there's a lot of teams the Flyers can sort of, like, get by with their faulty process because they're just better than them. Yeah. And Boston, you can't. Like, because the Flyers are not better than Boston. The Flyers have to be playing with a strong process for 60 minutes to beat Boston. And I don't know if they played with a strong process for 60 minutes any game this year. No. And that's, I think what you just said is important. They have to play with a strong process for 60 minutes because in every game except for the one where they got crushed, the 6-1 to game, 
they've had a lead, or it's been close. Like, I think the Flyers and Bruins are a lot closer. It's it's a lot closer to even when both teams are at full strength. But the Flyers just let a couple of minutes get away from them, and Boston does not miss. Like... Oh, yeah, you played bad for a minute and a half. Guess what? You're down five now. You were down one. (laughs) Like, it just gets completely away from them somehow. And I just don't know if it's they have to bring... How can they solidify this thing? And then we'll take a... Is is it really just like, yeah, go get Ekholm? Like, is it... Are they a player away? And we're going to get into the missing guys after the break. But, like... Well, I mean... How can they figure this out? I mean, the one point I'll make here, the one point I'll make here, and I, I, me and Kelly were talking about this before the show, is that like, look, we've had we've had discussions throughout the season about the concept of you know, you can't say that like the reason why the Flyers are playing this poorly is because Sean Couturier is out because like Sean Couturier doesn't turn the Flyers like not having Sean Couturier doesn't turn the Flyers into a forty four percent expected goals and Corsi team like he shouldn't do that he's not that good. At the same time. It would really be freaking nice to see this Flyers team for like two weeks, not saying the whole year, like two weeks with their actual roster without like multiple players who aren't just like Scott Lawton's, but are like key core pieces that drive the way this team wants to play. It would be nice if there was two friggin' weeks where they had all of them. Like really all we got was one game, the first game of the year, which they won, if you remember, in blowout fashion against the Penguins. That was a lot of fun. Since then, they then lost Sean Couturier. Then they lost Phil Myers. Then, just as they got Sean Couturier and Phil Myers back, there was a COVID outbreak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now they don't have Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton, Oscar Limblom, and they're playing Sam Moran and Mark Friedman both as forwards on the fourth line. So, like, like... Look, I'm not saying that Boston isn't a really tough team to beat. I'm not saying that the Flyers couldn't use another really good defenseman because, damn it, they could. But I'd love to see this Flyers team at close to full strength against Boston and see how they would do because we just haven't seen it. No. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I know I said we're going to break after that, but I just want to— The fourth line with the two defensemen. (laughs) That was a thing. What a time to actually. I actually think, and listen, when, like, they're out there and it's, oh, yeah, and Andy Andrioff is the center. Like, <laughs> uh, okay, this probably isn't going to go go well. But, like, philosophically, I don't think it's a terrible idea. When you're this depleted, I guarantee you, your 7th and 8th defensemen are better than your fucking 17th and 18th forwards. Like, they just are better hockey players, probably. Fair point. I don't think it's, like, when it's, yeah, you know, when you're playing Boston and you're missing everyone else, too, it it, it might not go that well. But I didn't hate it, just, like, conceptually. No, I, I kind of respect the wackiness of it, actually. Like, everything's <laughs> completely screwed up. You don't know what you're going to do. Why not get weird and make your shutdown line, you know, defenseman? <laughs> <laughs> like why not see what happens so hey so I'll, I'll i'll say this like as a hockey writer i thought it was freaking great because <laughs> it's just so bonkers like hey <laughs> let's see what mark freeman does as a forward why not <laughs> but this decision in all honesty was fucking insane like <laughs> it, it 
was. It really was. Like, I mean, what are the choices? He could have played Dave Akasha, who's actually a forward. And good. And not bad. I mean, I don't know if he's good, but he's not, he's not awful. No. Like, here was, this was the quote. Like, I put this in my story, and it was, like, I, when Vino said this, and I, I like Vino, and I think, you know, especially over the last couple months, he's maybe gotten too much shit. But, like, if you're looking for a quote to really rake Vino over the coals for, like, this is one. Somebody asked him, like, do you know if Mark Friedman, like, when the last time Mark Friedman has played forward, like, why, like, why did you think this was an idea? This was Saturday before the game. And his response was, I'm not quite sure if he has. I didn't even bother to ask him. I just told him he was playing on the right side to give us an option up front and to also give us an option on D. Like, you didn't ask him if he's ever played the position that you're asking him awesome. to play? Like, like didn't, we make this, didn't we make this a huge thing that, like, Sale Moran is learning to play forward, that he spent the entire offseason watching tape and learning the details of a new position and how hard it is? And then it's like, nah, for a nationally televised game, Mark, you're going to play wing. Have fun, buddy. Like that was yeah. wild. Those wild. were just those were just excuses because Sam Moran stinks. Um, <laughs> like for, no, for real. Come on, he's terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, let me run this thought by you, and then we actually will break. Boston is considered the home team in the game yesterday, so let's say like. If if I'm the coach of Boston, I'm thinking every time this team that's down to it's the end of its roster making shit up, regardless of who's playing, what, like, the fourth line was going to be bad. I have a line called the perfection line. I would put them out every single time against the fourth line. You're going to be on defense. Well, we have four defensemen. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a crazy idea to me. See, I feel like the fact that it doesn't seem like a crazy idea to you proves to me even more yeah. that it was a crazy idea. Fair enough. <laughs> it was, I can see it was, the logic. It was a very Bill Matz idea. I can see the logic is all I'm saying. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with some more... Uh, God damn, this doesn't feel like a playoff team, but we'll be talking about them. All right. On the other side, we'll be back. All right, fam, it's time to talk a little bit more big picture stuff here with our Philadelphia Flyers. So I just want to know, do you think we can actually take anything meaningful from these games without Giroux, Jake, TK, Lawton, Limblom, and Braun? Like, can you actually... Is there anything to be gained from watching that game again? Like, oh, this is what the Flyers need to do better, because that wasn't the Flyers. Top line I liked, but other than that, like, you know, Nicholas Albe, Q-Bell's playing on the second line. So, I honestly don't think you can take anything of value away from Sunday's game. I don't, th- I don't think you can take anything of value from it whatsoever, because the circumstances were just so weird. You're playing in an outdoor venue that was struggling to figure out how the hell it was even going to be viable to play hockey. They didn't have a practice before the game, so the goalies didn't have any chance to figure out, like, sight lines or anything and whatnot. Like, I don't think you can actually take anything at all away from Sunday's game, aside from, man, it sucks they lost. Thursday's game, my primary takeaway from that game 
that I do think is a legitimate problem and has been a problem for pretty much the entire year is like, this team needs to shoot the damn puck more. Oh my God. And the reason I say that is because like, look, if, if it was just the third and fourth lines, which we agree, given the circumstances, were going to be bad, especially because Nolan Patrick is not playing that well. But like, it was the Couturier and Hayes lines too that just weren't shooting the puck. Like the Flyers had the puck a lot against the Rangers last Thursday. Yeah. And they just didn't get pucks on net. Like, they had a lot of shots blocked. They missed a lot of shots. And they also just burned entries because they just they would have opportunities and they wouldn't get a shot off because they were looking for the perfect opportunity. And then it came away with nothing. And, like, I'm very much in favor of, like, let's look to pass to get, you know, higher quality opportunities. But there's a limit to how often you should do that. Sometimes you should just put the puck on net and try to create scrambles, and the Flyers are seemingly never doing that. And it's a problem because it adds up. Like, you can't keep playing these, like, the other team gets 30 shots, we get 20 shots, and expect to win games. Mm-hmm. You just can't. And that is not—this is a problem that, like, if it was just the Andy Andrioffs that weren't generating any shots on Thursday, that would be one thing. But when the Couturier line— doesn't have a shot on goal through two periods. And that's your line with your only that's your only line with three top nine forwards. That's a problem and it needs to be addressed. And like it's it's the Rangers, you know, like yeah. you weren't playing Boston. Yeah. <laughs> so is this this is this is a player's problem, right? This isn't a, a Vaino problem. I mean I think it's mostly a player's problem. Then again, I can't like, imagine he's coaching them not to shoot. Yeah, I mean, I will say that like <laughs> that would w- be insane. That's some Ken w- Hedgecock shit. I, I will boys, say boys, that Vig- boys, not too many goals, please. There we go. <laughs> Vino teams do tend to like. Let me put it this way: like Dave Haxtell definitely encouraged his team to just shoot from anywhere, to shoot from the point, do low to high, all that stuff. Vino's teams historically do tend to have higher shooting percentages which I think is because he encourages them to try to generate higher quality opportunities and not just pump up their shot totals by taking distance shots that aren't going to have any chance of going in anyway. So there's a coaching element to it. That said, I doubt he's telling them to do it to this extreme of a degree. Mm-hmm. And also, it's not just that they don't shoot. It's that when they shoot, they rarely hit the fucking goaltender. Very, very. I haven't looked up the stats because somebody tweeted them at me because during Thursday's game, I said there can't be a team that has more shots blocked or misses the net more than the Flyers. And it turns out they're third worst at it. (laughs) But even when they, and like we, I have a whole Nolan Patrick thing later, but like he had a, uh, in the last two games, he's got a 60% Corsi four. When he's on the ice, the Flyers have 60% of the total shot attempts. Well, when you look at the Fenwick, which is the unblocked shot attempts, it's actually break it even 50-50. And then when you look at the actual shots on goal, it's like 21%. Like, they don't hit the fucking net when they do shoot. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. They could... Imagine... The number of goals this team scores is actually insane. If they hit the net a little bit more, they'd score like the 80s Oilers. Like, <laughs> it's unfucking believable that's the thing I think that's most frustrating is that we know that when it's a complete thing, this forward core is quite talented and quite capable of scoring a lot of goals. But yeah, you gotta, you gotta shoot the puck to do those. Yeah. Like goals are good. Shouldn't they want goals? Goals are good. I like them. 
Does, does, like, don't you get paid more when you score more goals? Like, I feel like you should want to score goals. And, and I think the, the frustrating part for me is that, like, in the beginning of the season, the Flyers weren't getting a lot of shots on goal. But the problem in my mind wasn't necessarily that, like, they weren't shooting. The problem was they never had the damn puck. So, like, yeah. that was a problem where, like, yeah, when the other team has the puck 60% of the time, if not more, you're not going to get a lot of shots on goal because you just don't have any, many opportunities to shoot. Before the outbreak, really before Sunday's game, which, again, I would say is an outlier. It's hard to really gain any, you know, analytical value from that game because it was a weird game. But before Sunday, like, the Flyers' process had been, in my mind, trending upwards. You know, they were— yeah. They were winning the neutral zone more. Their defensive zone coverage was much better. You know, yeah, they were still blasting the zone early at times and it was hurting their breakouts, but they were doing it less often. They were having the puck more. They were moving the puck up ice more efficiently. So the other problems were getting fixed, yet they still weren't generating shots on goal because now they just weren't shooting. And it's like, you got to shoot sometimes, guys, really. You have to do it sometimes, even if it's not a tap-in, slam-dunk goal. You have to put the fucking puck on net sometimes. Every once in a while would be nice. Like just to just... let him know you're there. <laughs> yeah, like... Make a save, please, goaltender. Bleed all over him. Let him know you're there. Um, so we, we said you can't really take anything away from these games when the team is without half of its good players. I have another question now. The Flyers play Boston again on Monday, April 5th. It's the first of a back-to-back at home, April 5th and 6th. In between now and then, they play 20 games. Five against the Rangers, five against the Sabres, four against the Isles, three against the Caps, two against the Pens, one against the Devils. They're 8-1-1 against those teams. Can we... Do those games even matter? Like, assuming they get somewhat back to a normal lineup... And I think we then can assume they're going to win, like, the majority of those games. Does it even matter? Like, is this about, are they as good as Boston, or fuck it, it doesn't matter? Like, is there really anything you can take away from them beating up on teams we know they're better than? Well, I think that what it it does is... They have to do it, like, 100%. That length of time, until we play Boston again gives us time to do what Charlie said, which is learn what this team actually is. And perhaps we can go an entire month without key injuries that take key players out of the lineup for long lengths of time. So perhaps we'll have a run-up of games against teams that the Flyers are demonstrably better than with all of their players, and they can use this time to work on the process that is the thing that's killing them at this point. And then you get to Boston and maybe you whoop their ass a little bit. I don't know. Could happen. Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of it again, boils down to the process. Like we, the reason why we've been screaming about the process for so long this season is this idea that if they keep playing this poorly from an underlying standpoint, the results are eventually going to tank. Yeah. And you know, with Boston, it's a little bit different because Boston's just a really good team, but like, if you keep only getting 44% of the shot shot attempts and 44% of the expected goals of 5-on-5, five five, like, I don't care who you're playing, you're not going to win many games. So, like, you can't say these games don't matter because if the Flyers keep getting crushed territorially, they're not going to beat anybody very often. 
That said, I, I do think they were showing signs of fixing the process before the outbreak. Hopefully they can get right back to where they were once those guys come back, but you are going to have six guys, not saying they all definitely had COVID, but definitely a few of them did. And they're going to be coming back from COVID. And they might not be at 100% for a little bit, if only just because they haven't been on the ice for two weeks, at least. So this could take some time. And you just hope they keep finding ways to win games as they slowly try to figure it out. And hopefully by the second half of the year, they're still solidly in a playoff spot. And then they can really turn it on. But I, I don't, I'm not willing to say, like, yeah, they're just obviously going to roll through all these not-that-great teams because I don't think that's a guarantee based on the quality of their underlying play and all the other things that are going on right now. Listen to all of those excuses. <laughs> Listen, I, all the things going on, I think, are a legitimate concern. I've just always assumed they were going to figure out their process, and like you said, they were working towards it. Now, of course, they're out of players, but like I just think this is a good team who just hadn't quite gotten their footing yet, but were winning just because they're better, and once they did figure it out, they'd be pretty good. So I, I'm not necessarily worried about... Now, listen, if they lose the next fucking game, I'm going to be on here freaking <laughs> out. But as of now... Oh, say, okay, so 20 games, that's 40 points on the line before the next time they play Boston. Flyers currently have 19 points in the standings. How many should they have next time they line up against the Bruins? Because I say 49. So what, you're saying they get, they get 30, 30 out of, out of 40. 40 points? I think that's I mean, reasonable. I mean, a 75% points percentage is pretty damn ambitious. Five against the Rangers, five against the Sabres, four against the Islanders. Those Rangers and Sabres games should be wins. Eh, I mean, probably. I, that's not to say that you, that, you know, obviously this is hockey. You don't always beat the team that's worse than you. So they're not guarantees, but they are, I think, opportunities for the Flyers to bank points against teams that are, in fact, worse than them. I think that's fair. I just think that, like, I don't know. A 75% points percentage is pretty ambitious. I'm not saying they couldn't do it, but considering what we've seen from the Flyers this year, I'm not going to say they're definitely going to. Like, mm. like if you look at a 75% points percentage, okay, a 75% points percentage is... What the, Bros what the Boston Bruins have done this year, okay? That, that, is, that is what you are asking the Flyers to do. You're asking the Flyers to deliver win-loss results on the level of what the Bruins have done this year, which has put them in the lead in the division. The team with the best points percentage last season, who was the Boston Bruins, finished with a 71.4% points percentage. So, like, I'm not going to ask the Flyers to do better over the next 20 games than the best team in hockey did last season. I mean, that's a full season. I'm sure at some point they had, like, a stretch of 20 games where they won 75% of the points. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just saying I think it's a little ambitious. Let's say 72% of the points, then. Okay. <laughs> this is supposed to be an ambitious season. Like, Fair. I'm not here. I'm not here for winning one playoff round again. All right. All right I wanna, okay. Are the Flyers the second best team in the Eastern Division? I don't when think we know yet. 
Yeah. Because we I... haven't seen them. They're 8-1-1 one, one against not Boston, and the one regulation loss was Thursday against the Rangers. Or no, that was a that was an overtime loss. Never mind. Uh, I retract that. I, I the, mean, re- I, the regulation loss was the blowout against The Sabres Boston. game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I... I think it's fair to say that you could on if we're just looking on paper, yeah, I would say yeah. But I do think that we don't know exactly what this team is and again, that's not an excuse. That's just the reality of what has been happening this season. Eventually, we are going to get a stretch of games with the entire roster healthy. And once we do, we can talk a little bit more, I think, definitively about what this team is. Right now, we're just guessing. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Kelly in that I think the Flyers, on paper, I would still consider to be at full strength or close to it, the second-best team in the division. But it's close enough, in my mind, with the other teams that, like— a couple things could swing that. I mean, if like, and we'll get to him in a second. If this is just a bad Carter Hart season, then they're they're not the second best team in the division. Like, if this is just like Carter Hart's having his first down season in his career, like, then they're probably not the second best team in the division. If the Flyers just can never figure out what they're supposed to do in Vino's system and continue to be a sub fifty percent play driving team, then they're not the second best team in this division. I think they can be. I think looking at their like what I view as like the players they have and their true talent levels, I think they certainly should be. But I'm not ready to say they are mm-hmm. until they show me that they actually can perform like that team, aside from just wins and losses. So you mentioned him. We have to we have to talk about him. Carter Hart. Yeah. He's given up twenty goals to Boston in four starts. He's 0-2-2 with an 8.35 save percentage on about 32 shots a game, and he's been pulled in these games. So it's, yeah, but he's faced about 32 shots a game uh, against Boston. 18 goals he has given up against the uh, in in his seven other starts. 20 against Boston in four, 18 against everyone else in seven other starts. He's got a 919 save percentage on again about 32 shots a game in those starts. What the, I, I get like Yeah, David Pasternak's gonna bring down your save percentage. I get it. But what the fuck's going on with Carter Hart? Well, I mean, to be fair, the whole team has been dog shit against Boston this season. That's not to give him a pass because he has not been great. I would say on the whole this season, he's been a little bit less than what I was expecting. The Boston games, top to bottom, have been shit shows. Like, I I mean, I just don't know what else to say about it. Could he have been better? Sure. But, like, there's just something about these games that the Flyers just lose everything. I don't know. I get that. I know that the team has, like, had these lapses that they just give up games against Boston and it's not always on the goalie, but goddamn, can't he just steal one someday? Like, can't he just be the reason they win a game they shouldn't? I mean, there have been games this year where he's played really well, and I would argue he's stolen games. Like, I think back to the, the second game of the year against Pittsburgh, he stole that game. He obviously hasn't stolen a game against Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's done the opposite. He's looked quite quite bad in quite a few of the games against mm-hmm. Boston. Um, that said, 
I don't know. In a way, this is almost like that, like that tired, wired meme on Twitter, where it's like tired. Carter Hart can't win on the road. Wired. Carter Hart can't beat the Bruins. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It gets weird. It's weird that he struggled against the Bruins this year. I don't think that it necessarily means that like he's destined to forever struggle against the Boston Bruins. It's just that he's had bad games against the Boston Bruins, and on the whole, he hasn't been that great this year. I still think Carter Hart is eventually going to figure it out, mm-hmm. but. Goalies are weird, and you always have to acknowledge the possibility that maybe this is just the weird year for Carter Hart. That's I'm not, like, worried about the long term of Carter Hart, and I won't be for quite a few years of his career. But, like, are we... If you had to guess, would you say this is just who he's going to be this year? And it's going to be an up-and-down sort of year. He's not going to... We always say, like, development isn't an escalator. Like, it's not a steady rise... You know, you have your peaks and valleys. Is this is this just one of those dips? Is that what this is going to be? I, I'm i not ready to say that this is what the whole year is going to look like for him. And, it, like, it's 11 starts. And, like, Char- like he's got a 9-1-9 save percentage against everyone not named the Bruins. Yeah. So it's not like he's awful every night. He absolutely needs to be better. Like, let's just get that on the record. That said, I mean... Honestly, I the same way that you want your goaltender to steal a game for you every now and again, it would be nice if the rest of the team could every now and again steal a game when Carter Hart has a little bit of a, a shit performance. And they yeah, absolutely be, have that. It would be cool if they, if they protect him goals. a little. It would be cool. Yeah. yeah, Protect him a little bit more, score more goals than the other team, that kind of thing. Um, I, I just don't – I just can't – bring myself to be like worried that we have a Carter Hart problem. He just, you know, he's not playing well right now. Yeah. That was one of the reasons why I was getting really frustrated last night on Twitter, which again, I mean, this is partially on me for letting Twitter get me frustrated because it's fucking Twitter. But, um, I, I guess I should have anticipated that this kind of game was really going to bring out the like, casual flyers fans because it was, oh, an out- yeah. mm-hmm. it was an outdoor game you know people are like well it's outdoors i don't like hockey's my fourth favorite of the four sports but i'll watch this game because sure it's neat and then carter hart plays poorly and immediately all those people lose their goddamn minds and decide that actually this goalie that flyers fans have told them is good had one bad game, so obviously he's fucking terrible, and Flyers fans are dumb, and hmm. now I can make fun of them by comparing Card- uh, Carter Hart to Carson Wentz. Like, I was losing my goddamn mind with all the people in my mentions who it's were just... saying that, because it's like, dude, you just don't get it. Like, you're you're probably trolling, but it was working, because it was just so asinine. You know, uh, Carson Wentz wasn't in the NFL at Carter Hart's current age. Like, <laughs> he was—he might have been sitting the bench in college still. I feel like he was in college till 26. Who cares? We're not here to talk about Carson Wentz. Um, I just remember we talked last year about how, like, every time the Flyers have given us a little something and then people start to get, like, start to notice... Like, then they played that, uh, it was a day or two before Halloween, they played the Penguins and lost 7-1 on mm-hmm. national TV last year. And it was just like, God damn it! Why do you have to do this to me in front of people? This is- <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Like, when you play like shit on Tuesday against the Devils, it's a, it's a funny little quirk that we all joke about on post-game, and then I talk about it here with you guys, how I'm just going to quit my job rather than deal with it. But when you do it on national television, now you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Like, God damn it! Why? It's, but that's just kind of what they've been doing to us. Yeah, well, I mean, th- this was the this was the big one, and again, this like, was this, the yeah, yeah, and, and this was a game where we've talked about it. They were probably destined to lose mm-hmm. this game. That said, Carter Hart was not destined to give up like four weak goals in this game. Mm-hmm. That was the frustrating part. Yeah, like, I, I, they were probably they were probably going to lose. They didn't have to lose like this with Carter Hart just falling flat on his face. Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't expect them to lose the game the way that they did, and that's the thing that made no. it frustrating. If this was Samuel Moran's fault, I wouldn't even be talking about it today. We'd be doing a show about something else. But since since it actually was like and we like you, everyone blames the goalie and then it's not actually the goalie's fault. You look at nine things that went wrong. I'm not saying nine things didn't go wrong. You pointed out earlier in the show, Charlie, that one Hague turnover. He's under no duress. He just accepts a pass and fumbles it and it just flutters out into the neutral zone. And then he stood there and fucking watched as a Bruin picked it up with speed and hit the line for a rush and eventually a goal. Mm. It was like 12 mistakes in the span of 11 seconds. So I'm not saying, (laughs) I'm not saying those things didn't happen, but like you can put this one on the goalie yesterday, at least somewhat. Oh Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like that, that's the thing. And this again is another issue I have with Twitter is that like, we can there's room for nuance here there's room for carter hart had a total shit game while also not believing that carter hart is a total shit goalie Mm -hmm. like one can hold those two thoughts in your head at the same time (laughs) it is possible like i i looked this up the uh the year it was dominic hasek's second mvp year when he had 13 shutouts he also had 13 games where he surrendered four or more goals. I think there was a six and a seven in there. Like, I'm not comparing him to Dominic Hasek. I'm just saying shit happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, 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 goal, goalie's really fucking hard. Seems hard. Out. Seems yeah. hard. Unless you're, unless you're playing the Flyers because they never shoot at you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you get bored. Maybe that was the goal. Like, they were like, let's let Rask get really cold. <laughs> then, we'll kill him in the thir- then we'll kill him in the third. Hart will be nice and warmed up. Eh, it didn't work out that to, way. To, All to, right, to, so- quote, to quote one of my favorite sports movies, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off for them. <laughs> Narrator. Is that, the mo- is that the most used movie quote on Twitter? God, I love that it's movie. It's so, so good, though. It works in so it, many no, it, situations. It, I'm, it does. I'm not complaining. I'm just like, is it the most used movie quote it on Twitter? Be. It's it got to be up there. It's, you know, it, I'm sure it's like, it, it's, it's a sports one. Like, it's oh, definitely yeah. more used in sports Twitter where we frequent. But it's got to be pretty high up there because it's such a fantastic quote. All right, so I already gave my one... Well, I I alluded to my one positive thing from the last two games. I thought I just kind of noticed Nolan Patrick on Sunday, uh, like, more than before, being aggressive, carrying the puck, not just passing it through his legs behind his back, but, like, actually asserting himself. So that's when I looked up his, his natural stat trick numbers, and that's when I came to... Actually, my positive thing is... 
uh, it's the negative of the whole team. He's got a 60% Corsi 4, and then, you know, the numbers dissipate as you really look at them. 51% on the unblocked shots, 29% in terms of shots on goal. That's more a team thing. But my one positive thing, it's Nolan Patrick, I think, is starting to assert himself a little bit, and goddamn do they need it. They needed it, like... Would have been nice if he did it a couple of games ago and was, like, playing really well right now. But I think he might be, like, turning the corner in terms of getting his legs under him and realizing what the fuck he has to do out there. See, the funny thing is, is that based on the anger directed towards him on Twitter last night, it seemed like most people disagreed with you. I most, know! I, most was th- people, I most thought people I was were crazy. livid, livid at Nolan Patrick during this game. It is. It, it was a little weird that they picked him specifically, but I, I do kind of wonder. I would say on the whole this season, he's not looked great. No, and I no. think the thing that's frustrating for people is that. I think when, you know, typically when someone comes back from an injury, they look physically like they're playing worse because they're not 100% physically. We know that that's not the thing with him. And I don't know if, he, if there is something residual hampering him that doesn't show up physically because physically he's fine. Like he's got his skating legs. All that stuff looks good. Is there something else that's hampering him? I don't know. But he has been on the whole, I think, a letdown, which is why I think he's the one that a lot of people zero in on every single time something doesn't go well. Because I think that they expect him to do better, and then he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's also just like he's second overall pick. Yeah, people were excited he's back. He's not playing all that well. My viewpoint with Nolan Patrick is that like, look, I was hoping that he'd be able to come out this season and just you know look awesome from the jump. That would have been amazing. And I think the fact that he did look quite good at camp and in that uh that inner squad game before the season started, like maybe got people thinking that, Hey, we might actually get lucky and Nolan Patrick might storm out of the gate and look awesome. Um, that's not the case, but I think, I think we all probably should have expected that it was going to take some time for him to, you know, rediscover his rhythm after missing. Yeah. I mean, shit, like his lab before, before January, his last game was what, like the beginning of April, 2019. It was like April 6th or something, 2019, yeah, so, something yeah, like so that. Yeah, so we're, we're talking like 18, 19 months since the last time he played a, uh, you know, a, a professional competitive hockey game. Like, look, I'm going to say that Nolan Patrick has not been very good this year, but I'm kind of cutting him some slack. Now, at some point, I'm going to have to be critical of him because yeah. at some point he's going to have to figure it out. And like the difference between Patrick and Limblom, for example, and this is a really important distinction. You have two guys coming off of major health issues that are trying to get back to form. Now, obviously Limblom is now out with COVID protocol, but hopefully he'll eventually be back and hopefully at hundred percent and everything will be fine. But like the difference between the two is that with Limblom, you just want him to get back to where he was. Like, his thing is, he looked really good, then he got cancer, now he's trying to get back to his former heights. With Patrick, his former heights before the migraine disorder weren't really that great. So with Patrick, you're not just hoping he gets back to where he was. You're hoping he gets back to where he was and then gets even better. That's a very which, adds, which, which adds another level of uncertainty 
to what Nolan Patrick is because we don't know if maybe what he was before the migraine disorder, if maybe that's just all he is. And that's why there's additional worries because it's like you can't just say it's the migraine disorder and the layoff because even before that, he was fairly underwhelming. Excellent point. So my one positive thing kind of turned negative, so I'm going to give you my other one positive thing. (laughs) It is the salvation that is Joel Farabee. He, looks he good. fucking good. he fucking shoots the puck. I don't care. I he shoots. I love him. He leads the team in shots on net, shot attempts, scoring t- chances, high danger chances, and rebound rebounds created. Conversely, he leads the team in goals. Huh? Shocking! What happens when you <laughs> shoot? Amazing. I uh, I had to look this up. Um. So first 67 regular season games of their careers, because I looked at Pasternak's numbers when I was going through all that career stuff earlier in the show, and I noticed his rookie numbers were somewhat similar to Joel Farabee's. So I said, okay, let's look at where Pasternak was at this point, at the point Farabee's in. First 67 regular season games, Pasternak, 15 goals, 39 points. Joel Farabee, 16 goals, 35 points. We got our sniper, baby! We got him! He's Love here! Bill. Next Bill, I, pasta! I, I think we all needed some of this, like, crazed irrationality in our lives this week. So I, I thank you. I thank you for that effort. He could be. Well, no, like, I was, I was reading you those numbers, like, Pat, and these are, like, the on-ice numbers for Patrick. Corsi Ford, last two games, 60. But then the Fenwick's at 50. Shots on goal, 47%. Like, it's Proverov, 58% Corsi. 51 Fenwick, 29 shots on goal. Like, this team doesn't shoot. And they definitely don't shoot on net. Joe Farabee's the one guy who does it, and that just brings me such joy. Like, and then the puck goes in. He's actually scoring now. It's 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 really, really nice. So I want to know, when everything gets back to, you know, when the lineup is hopefully back to normal at some point in the near future, where do you put Joel Farabee? Yeah, I mean, it seems like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, right now he's playing well enough, I feel like, that like wherever he's in the lineup is probably going to do pretty well. Um, you brought up an interesting point, though, about the power play. Yes. Because I do really like the idea of him eventually taking over that bumper spot in the slot. Because he is a lefty shot, which makes him the ideal one-timer option for Drew, as long as you're playing Drew on on his uh, correct side. Um, so yeah, you know, and I, I think Alex Appleyard screened about this for a while, but I, I and I mostly agree with him is that like just give me a couple games of Drew on the left side, Farabee in the slot, JVR at net front, Voracek on the right side, Shane Goss' bear up top. And let's see how they do. Oh, God, like just, that would just, be just, nice. Just give, it, give me a couple games of that. If it doesn't work, then fine. Go back to Ivan Provorov on the top unit and do what you want. But no. Like, do no, not go. No. Under no circumstances should Provorov be out there on the top unit. Like, he's, he, not, good. he's not good at it. No. <laughs> I just he's, don't he's bad at it. The thing that frustrates me is that the current situation is not working at all. And it hasn't been for quite some time. So why aren't we? mixing shit up to figure out how to fix it 
Well, in fairness, they are mixing shit up on the power play. They're just mixing it up in a way. In a bad way. (laughs) It's not like they're sticking to one formation. They're trying a lot of different things. They're all just bad. Why aren't they doing exactly what we are asking them to do? Exactly. Question. Exactly. (laughs) Am I like I really want Giroux Coots Farabee as the top line? I mean, that could be fun. That could like, be fun once Drew is uh, The back. power play, like, I either want him in the bumper spot or even opposite in the traditional Jake spot so he can take a cross-ice pass from uh, from Giroux. But, like, at 5-on-5, five five, it seems like Coots and Farabee have some chemistry. Like, man, that, that play off the back wall was fucking awesome. That was I, really Sh- good. Sean Couturier. Thank God they didn't get a power play. He gets elbowed in the fucking head and then just goes, yeah, I'll take that puck back and I'll dump it in the zone. And, oh, yeah, I got an assist on the play. Like, Joel Farabee's great. Like, thank God they didn't get a power play. It just seems like those two have some chemistry and then add Giroux's passing with Farabee, who shoots the puck. It seems like, and, you know, you brought up the righty-lefty thing. Like, you have Giroux right-handed on the left wing. You put Farabee left-handed on the right wing. They would score goals. One would think that would be the yeah, result. They have to. Farabee <laughs> has definitely been one of the, like, like there, there's a lot of things about the season, I feel like, that have been, well, it's good, but Joel Farabee has been one of the few good things that you can state without qualifiers. He's just been good. Like, the only thing you maybe can say about Farabee is that he's, you know, he's had a lot of really great games and that he's gone invisible for some time, but, like, he's, he's like, a... He's a third-line winger who's 20. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. He leads the gonna... team in goals. <laughs> yeah, so, like, fine. He scores in bunches. When you're, you know, w- when you're the first, when you're the, the third or second or best player on the team, you probably don't want to go invisible for a few games. But when you're the sixth or seventh or eighth best forward on the team on paper, and that's the kind of ice time you're getting, then you're probably going to go invisible sometimes. But when you have your big games and you score hat-tricks, probably doing a pretty darn good job when you're in a depth role like he is so i have i have nothing bad to say about joel farabee it's been really fun to watch his breakout season and just for the uh just for the record here uh let's see three six seven eight nine uh david pasternak nine goals on the season in four games he's got two hat tricks a two goal game and a one goal game like like we always say they all score in bunches. <laughs> Fair. Anyone else? Anyone else have any positives? Uh, Just give me something positive from the last two games. I mean, Couturier looks really good coming back from yeah, an injury. He does. Like he does look really good. He didn't miss a beat at all, so that's really good because you know, gonna need that. That's a good. You, you know thing. what is what is like one like small positive coming out of the fact that the Flyers had to pause for a week and a half, which, like, certainly not a good thing that multiple players apparently have COVID-19. But I was legitimately a little worried that the Flyers rushed Couturier and Myers back from their rib injuries Mm -hmm. too soon. I thought the same thing. giving them an extra week and a half to, like, let their bodies heal a little bit maybe wasn't the worst thing even if it came in a way that I didn't want to happen. Also, I'll probably get roasted for this, but... Boom. Roasted. (laughs) Given the absolutely ridiculously depleted state of this lineup, until the second period of the Boston games, when shit just went completely off the rails, 
they were hanging in pretty well. All things considered, like, the Rangers probably could have blown out this team given what the roster looks like and the fact that they kind of were forced to play the game. Yeah. I think maybe you can... I'm, I'm reaching. But it, there's no, I, I, I agree. Like after the first period, I get it was two, two and like, it was a little wide open, but I was just really looking forward to like, Oh, this is going to be a top line versus top line showdown. This is going to be some good shit. And then that second period just kind of happens. And it was like, well, goddamn, not exactly getting the game. I thought I was going to get here, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, like that's why I'm, I'm very frustrated in, in assessing what the flyers have done against Boston this year, because like, for the majority of the games, they're fine, but they just have these fucking lapses where they completely give it away. And also, like, it's not like they just give it away. Boston is good enough to, like, take it, mm-hmm. you know. But, like, uh, yeah. Positives. That's all I got. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Katuri being, being very good since he's come back has, you know, definitely been a positive. And hopefully when the other guys come back, that positive becomes even more obvious because the other lines aren't garbage. Excellent segue, Charlie, because you brought up reinforcements. How soon can Zade Wisdom be one of these reinforcements? I would not hate this. I'm going to be honest. You, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, we, we joke about it. We do. That said, like, look, do I think they're going to do it? They're going to, like, call up Zade Wisdom to play on, a, on Wednesday? No, I don't. No, he's not 18, on he's Wednesday. Years old. Yeah. That said, there's kind of a case for it. Mm-hmm. Because, if, like, somebody asked me, like, you know, why are they using, you know, Sam Moran? You know, don't they have any other forwards they can use? And I looked at it, and honestly, no. Like, now they might because Tanner Lazinski and um, Lena Sandine came back from injury on Saturday to play for the fans. But, like, they were hurt. They were out. They weren't ready to come yeah. on the trip. So, like, they weren't options. If you looked at it, the next man up at forward on an NHL contract was Matthew Strome. I when he got brought up on the taxi squad, I was like, I can't, I was like, this is not good. But also, I really want to see this. But like, like he's he's barely an AHL player. Yeah, he was, yeah. Like if the ECHL was playing this season, he probably be would be there. Yeah. And you're really your only other option aside from Matthew Strome was to call up Zade Wisdom, who is actually killing it in the AHL. Yeah. And for, that's what I wanted to say. For those who don't understand the context, Zade Wisdom, uh, you remember he was a fourth-round draft pick in this past year's draft, the 2020 draft that just happened. Uh, he'll be 19 in July. Through four games with the Phantoms, he has four goals and an assist. He had no points in his first two games and then two goals in each of his last two. Uh, two shots on goal in each of the four games. He hasn't been a minus in any game. We talked, like, uh, when he signed the ELC, like, right away. Like, I don't even think they called his name yet at the draft and he'd signed his ELC. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, well, he comes from a, a situation where he's taking care of his family. He needed the money right away. He was happy to be drafted, so he signed the contract. That was all well and good. Also, could he, like, I mean, he is a pro. He's playing in the AHL because there's no whatever league he'd be in. Um, Like, is he going to be an NHL player? Like, I'm not saying now, but by this time next year, will he be a Philadelphia Flyer? 
And it could be way sooner. It could be like next week. It could be but, next week. Yeah. <laughs> the way things are going, week. he might play Wednesday. I mean, it's only been like how many games have the fans played? Like four games. Four games. It's four yeah, games. So like, yeah, like it's four keeps, fucking games. If he keeps this up, like I would imagine yeah. if, that he would get a nod at some point, but it remains to be seen if, if this is going to keep up. Well, there's also the fact, too, that, and I haven't followed this closely, but, like, I believe the WHL is getting back going soon. Okay. I would assume the OHL might get back going, which is where Wisdom plays. You and once he gets OHL. back going, he's got to go back. Like, the only reason why they're letting guys under the age of 20 play in the AHL this year is because junior hockey leagues literally aren't playing hockey at the moment. Once they start playing again, guys like Wisdom and Tyson Forrester got to go back. So that could throw a wrench into this whole hmm, what if Zade Wisdom played Flyers games this season? But, like, if you look at the, the organizational depth chart at forward, they're not that far away from maybe having to use Zade Wisdom, and he is definitely playing well enough to put himself in the conversation despite his young age. I mean, I'd like, rather he see has... right now than Friedman or Moran on forward. I was going to say, like, he has to be better than Samuel Moran, right? Yeah. I think like... so. I, I, I can I, I, I'm, I usually hesitate to say things with certainty about prospects. <laughs> I am pretty certain that Zade Wisdom is a better forward than Sam Moran. Like we yeah, have... the forward is the forward is a better forward than the defenseman. Like you're <laughs> exactly. not going out on that much of a limb. <laughs> they gotta give up on this Moran thing, right? It's just, I like, it's been real bad. I I just either let him do it, like if you're good, five minutes isn't enough for anyone to do anything. No, he got, if a, you're he got gonna, like 10 minutes last night. I, I, yeah, last night. I'm just saying, like, in on Thursday, he played like five and a half minutes. Because he's bad. If you're gonna, I understand he's bad, but then, like, either acknowledge it was a bad idea or let's see what happens. Give him 13 minutes. Like, I. I, I, I don't really understand that logic. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is a terrible idea. We should probably do it a little bit more just to be sure. If it's that, if he's if he's so bad that he can't play 13 minutes, then he should play 0 minutes. We agree. But since since <laughs> no, but since he's in the lineup, let's see what happens. Let's see if he fights somebody. I just want to see him fight, goddammit. That's all. That's all I'm asking for. I just want to see him beat the shit out of somebody. Is that so much to ask? Yes, apparently. Yeah, I, because I, the whole yeah, reason yeah. they put him in the lineup the first time was to stop the big bad island Islanders from rolling over the Flyers, and they just rolled over the Flyers anyway. So, you know. Hey, they beat him twice. Physically, they rolled right the fuck over them. Wow. <laughs> Look, I, I would I would love to see Samuel Moran figure this out. He's a really good kid. He's dealt with a lot of shit. And maybe over time, he can learn to be a serviceable forward. I have my doubts, but maybe. That said, he's clearly not ready to do that now. No. No, like Mark Friedman looked better than him. Yeah. Mark Friedman got... Hey, Andy Andrioff. Behind the net? Centering pass into the slot, Mark Friedman there and shot it. It didn't go in, but it was encouraging. Charlie's yeah. done. <laughs> no, I mean like it's just it's just all bad. I mean, He's like, End the show. like we've got our, the fourth about? line. The fourth line was Andy Andrioff, an AHL player, and two defensemen playing forward. Like, is it is it Andrioff or Andreoff? Because they were saying Andreoff on the broadcast last night, and I was like, I pronounced everything wrong, so this could be right. 
I say Andrioff. I, I don't. Right. I just call him Andy. Does, does, Andy, because I have no idea how you're supposed to say. Does it? it does it really matter? No. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully it doesn't. And on that note, that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Please do so. All you got to do, search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. Click subscribe and then boom. Content delivered to you pretty much every day. Like, there's a lot of shit, man. We We do quite a bit and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, so much so that you'll give us a five-star review. Do that shit. Like, now. Like, you're listening to the show, you have your podcast app open, boom, write a review. Ain't that hard. All right, that's it. Uh, for Charlie, for Kelly, uh, Steph wasn't with us, but for her, too, my name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!